0: The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Hey, anything that has ever, ever happened where it just stops you dead in your tracks and the plans that you had, you just do a 180 on. It just stops you and, and it's a bit by surprise and all the plans change, you're going uh, a different direction. Well, I have uh, what are, are really the, the true confessions of a ski bum wannabe. Uh, my name's Ryan Church and I work here. And I am going to tell you that if I could be a ski bum, I probably would, and I never have been, uh, but I I do have this story to tell you, that that as somebody that loves sports, I love sports, it's one of the reasons I asked you the question here at the top, Um, this this love of sports has actually hooked me up at times. It was a job that I had in college, I worked in the athletic department here in sports information, and then... Following that experience as an undergrad here, I worked for, perhaps you've heard of it, ESPN uh, Television. Not ESPN the ministry, ESPN the television. And uh, I covered college football games around the country as a production assistant. And it was a great way to go and see different college campuses and get paid to watch college football. It was a great gig. Well, as part of that gig... I often had to work the bowl games around the holiday season and and around New Year's. And and one year in particular, I was covering this game in Memphis called the Liberty Bowl. It was on New Year's Eve. And and of course, I wanted to come home for, you know, at at least some of the holiday. And so after the game uh, that was earlier on in the day, I hop on a plane. And on this plane... uh, you know it it we get the the uh, new year's uh, i guess call from the cabin from the pilot who just said hey everybody it's new year's in seattle happy new year everybody and uh it, it you know it's like kind of anticlimactic until the woman just to my left kind of turns to me and she's a little bit older than me maybe what some of you might call a a cougar if you've seen oceans 12 <laughs> and uh and she says you want a kiss and I, you know, And that's not really why I tell this story. I tell this story to say that when we got on the ground, I checked my messages on my phone and, and a buddy of mine that, that uh, was up at Whistler had said, church, dude, it is dumping up here and you need to make it happen because it is going to be boot to thigh high tomorrow and you are not going to want to miss this. Now this is at 1.30 in the morning, New Year's Eve, day, whatever you want to call it. And all that to say, after, you know, eluding the the prowling of the cougar, I was able to grab my bags and instead of going home, the plans that I had had, I pointed the Toyota Camry, not the, not the, uh, the Corolla that I now have, the S, this was the Camry, the T. And the reason it was called the T was because there was a leak in the trunk and this thing was basically moldy. And there were times like where I would hop in and put my my feet in the you know like by the the pedals and stuff, and I literally heard like, and it was musty because it smelled musty. So anyway, I pointed the the Toyota Camry north, didn't stop till Whistler Village, and it was awesome, great decision. When was the last time you had that though, That, that a message that just changed the plans? be it a voice message, a text, something happens in a moment's notice that causes you to go a different direction. And that's exactly what we're going to look at as we continue through the book of Mark tonight. We will look at the the invitations that Jesus gives to individuals that are, are mysteriously perhaps so compelling that these guys follow immediately. We're going to take a look at a person that comes and meets us and calls us into relationship with himself. We're going to look at a few different texts tonight, again from the front end of the book of Mark, but let's ask the Lord to help us as, as we do that. Lord, we stop tonight and we ask that you would give us the eyes to see you in this text to see what you're up to, to see an invitation that is also for us in the place that we're at right here. Lord, help us out as we come to these texts tonight, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you were not here last week, we're glad that you've chosen to be here this week for sure. And we got started by reframing this popular question, a popular question that's on bands, the, the great question, what would Jesus do to guide you in those moments of kind of going... You know, of of a moral crossroads, perhaps, you don't know what to do. What would Jesus do? Only we're going to reframe that and ask, what did Jesus do? We're going to ask that as we look through the book of Mark at the images, because in order to answer the question, what would Jesus do, if we're going to have any shot at answering that, well, we need to know what, in fact, Jesus did. So we continue in that quest uh, tonight. We started by looking at Jesus' baptism and temptation at the beginning of his ministry and remember that, that we see a God from the very beginning that identifies with us, but not just with us and all, all of the good things about us. We see a God that in his baptism and temptation also identifies with us and our sin. And that we understand that in that identification, we claim the great words that were at the end of the text last week. This is my beloved child, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We get to claim that as Jesus identifies with us. So last week, if that's what we see, this year we get to see a God that gets up in our joint. Up close and personal. And I think you're going to get a taste of that as we dive in tonight. We begin with uh, Mark, again in the first chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. It says this, After John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now right here, Jesus picks up that message of John the Baptist and continues to communicate that there is a sense of urgency. The time has come. There's a sense of urgency on this. Remember last week we talked about that John the Baptist, the alarm clock has gone off and something different is happening. And in fact, something different is among you. Turn and believe that something better is, com- is coming. It is then that Mark launches into to almost an example as we continue in verse 16. It says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net Into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come. Follow me. Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once. At once. They left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further. He saw James. Son of Zebedee. And his brother John. In a boat. Preparing the nets. Without delay. He called them. And they left their father Zebedee. In the boat. With the hired men. And followed him. What's going on here? What do we see? Jesus has walked into the personal space. Of some fishermen. And totally, totally disrupted them. Total, total interruption. Don't you hate it when that happens? When there's an, when there's an interruption. I know over the last 17 days. For, for me. Interruption has become a bit of a lifestyle. I have a, the reason I say 17 days is that that is exactly how old my my oldest son is. And it's like, just as I make the space to read a book or check out the newspaper or, or get, the, get the updated college football scores, Carson starts crying or he wants to eat or he wants his diaper changed. But it's just a total interruption Come on, man, and, and he has no respect for if it's 4 a.m. or 4 p.m. He just kind of does his thing. It's an interruption. Now I can't blame it all on Carson. Uh, I am somebody that is that is easily interruptible. Okay, if it wasn't Carson, it might be something else. Like, say, for example, the internet. Okay, I hate. I hate the internet. It—that is the place that I just—I—I I waste tons of time. It's a total interruption. Like the moment I'm—I stop thinking about one thing, I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll check uh, Facebook, see what's up. You know. <laughs> the internet can be a—it's a, not really as much an interruption as much as it's a distraction. And then I think back to when I was a student here at UW in the fraternity, that there were there were these these. These moments where I'm thinking, okay, I've got a nice chunk set out here to study. And then some dudes would bounce into my room and be like, hey church, dude, we're going to go down to the IMA and play some hoops. You want to come with us? I'd think about it for for like a half a second and be like, sure. And then, you know, or they'd want to go and hit some balls or whatever. And, and and then to boot when I'd get back, the next thing you know, uh, I'd, I'd stay up with with, you know, maybe one or two guys. And it seemed like every single time after midnight, that is when the real important, the really good conversations happen. To the point that, I'm serious, to the point that, that one of my little mantras from my, from my college experience, and take this with a grain of salt because I, I'm not sure how true it is. This is nowhere close to my notes, by the way. But, the best friends that you're ever gonna make are made after midnight. And that was true for me in the fraternity. I don't know what it was. That's just when the, the conversations were great, but they were still interrupting my ability to actually do my schoolwork, alright? Yet it was in those interruptions that, the, that I had some of the richest moments. It was sometimes when guys got up into my personal space that those are the moments that I recall that are most meaningful for the time that I had in college, sometimes those interruptions are exactly where we're supposed to be in a moment. They can be the most special moment. Some of the best moments I have, believe it or not, are when Carson wakes up at 4 a.m. and is totally alert and there's some good father and son time right there. Total interruption, but there's a blessing in it. Jesus shows up at the Sea of Galilee, is a total disruption to these four dudes, not to mention their dad. How do you think Zebedee feels in this whole thing? But for them, there is something in this. Much like somebody calling me up and saying, Church, we're going to have an epic powder day. you got to get in this. What the commu- What is being communicated is, the day that I'm thinking of for you is way better than the day that you have planned for yourself. I wonder if that is in part what these guys understood in hearing, come, follow me. I have a better day planned for you than the one you had for yourself. This is not a matter of convenience. It wasn't a convenient thing for these guys to leave their nets. There was something about this invitation that was compelling. What was it? What was it about come and follow me that these guys we're told at once, immediately, would leave their nets and go. Why in the world would that happen? Had they, had they met Jesus before? Maybe they heard him preach when he was 12. We don't know. You know, maybe, uh, maybe they knew Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and said, there's something appealing going on there. Maybe I want to go and be with that. Maybe Jesus was a stud and they thought, this guy can add a little mojo to what I've got going here. I don't know. And any speculation like that is just that. I don't want to go there. What I want to do is look at what happened in the text. I think what was compelling about this is that the invitation was personal. Jesus got up in their joint and said, come, follow me. There was something intriguing about that. A personal invitation that made it absolutely fascinating intrigue and fascination you know one of the conversations as a college pastor that i i have most with with college students is you know has to do with with dating and romance and you know who should i ask out who should i marry this is a big decision for me and it's it's always a fun dynamic conversation for sure but in in people especially all right, guys, especially with guys there there can often be this dilemma of well i just i just don 't know you know i don 't know if I should i don 't know if I should ask them out I don't, you know there 's this and there's that and, and i really don 't know I love this one i really you know I really don 't know if there's somebody that I can see myself with the rest of my life that they 've jumped fifty yards down the down the path here, whoa whoa smoke wagon, okay. And often my, my, the question that I come back with, with these guys that are struggling if they should ask somebody out or not is not should you marry them. The question is what is intriguing? What's fascinating about that person? Now I'm one of these guys that, that believes that, that dating is good. That intrigue and fascination with another person is enough to, to say ask them out. Now, Here's my, here's my, my caveat. It is not in bounds to be reckless with another person's heart. And unfortunately, that happens too much. But intrigue, fascination, guys, if you're intrigued with her, go ahead and ask her out. If you're fascinated, do it. But that's the nature of the invitation. That I think these guys heard from Jesus is that there is something intriguing here. There is something about intrigue and fascination that can move us into something new and different. And I think that is enough. In talking with the in-speaking team about what is the, the difference between what what made the difference in the journey of these students that that helped that come alongside me to prepare talks. Categorically, we went around the room, and it was a personal relationship, a personal invitation that that was the the kicker, the difference maker in the way that this group of people, including myself, knows Jesus. There is something about personal relationships that can be intriguing enough and fascinating enough to say, I'm going to go and try to do something different. Where are you being interrupted in a place that, it, that, that you find yourself intrigued? That it is not totally important to get back to what you're doing. Are, those, are there those places in your life where there's a fascination with, with why am I being bothered here? Why does this keep coming up? I think those are important things for us to notice. Let's move on to another intriguing encounter with another guy. That Jesus interrupts. Guy that is. Jesus is walking along the side of a lake. It says this in chapter 2 verse 13. Says this once again. We see that again. Once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As he walked along. He saw Levi son of Alphaeus. Sitting in the tax collectors booth. Follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up. And followed him. Different dude, same end. Again, we see Jesus just kind of bouncing up to somebody and being a total interruption. Now, I want you to think about this scene a bit like this. Often, tax collectors set up shop on the side of the road, much like like you would picture a toll booth. For those of you that, that might live around Gig Harbor. You see that toll booth on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. So think of it like that. A toll booth to collect money from people, but these guys were were a little bit more aggressive than the guys in the good-to-go lane, okay? These, are, these guys that, that sat in these toll booths were basically uh, extortioners. Extortionists? Extortioners? It was a place to see who had what and then kind of push them to the very edge of, of getting as much out of them as they could Without, you know, totally demolishing them. As a result, as you can imagine, if that's what happened every time you crossed the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, you would loathe and detest the guys that sit in those booths. People probably hate this guy. But keep in mind, Jesus, in in the text it says, a large crowd came to him. I wonder if this large crowd is watching Jesus give an invitation to a guy that they hate Levi was intrigued by the invitation probably a very wealthy wealthy man and he decides to leave the booth and follow unlike those fishermen, those four guys that we saw earlier, that could easily return to their jobs, you've got to understand that that a a, a tax collector like this is a lot like mafia once you're out, you're out there's no going back once you, have, once you have stepped out of the toll booth and gone to follow this guy. The fisherman could probably go back, and actually, we see that later on. For Matthew, that's what Levi's re- renamed. There is a giant risk in following Jesus. This is not merely an experiment, and if it doesn't work out for me, I'll go back. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a giant risk. And as we hear this, we need to understand that the call of Jesus is often difficult and potentially very risky. I've encountered this in my own life. In my senior year, I was here at UW and coming to the inn and... Listening to announcements, I had my dream internship, by the way. I was, I had an internship with the Seattle Mariners that, that I love. I love baseball, as I shared earlier, I love sports. And every week I came and I kept hearing either a witness about these people that had gone on this thing called World Deputation, this two-month summer missions program that we do. And, and then they had the applications for it. And as I began to, to think about and to pray, God, what are you up to in my, in my life? Why is this something that I cannot seem to shake? I keep hearing announcements for it. I keep hearing witnesses talk about how, uh, how crazy this is. But I've got my dream internship. This is exactly the path I think I want to be on. I want to I get into this stuff. There's no way that you would call me out of this right Needless to say, what ended up happening was instead of, of enjoying the, the fatty cuisine all summer in the Kingdom press box, I ended up spending a summer in the Republic of Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It was a difficult, difficult decision that led me to some difficult, difficult situations in Haiti. Accepting this invitation... Being a part of this interruption, friends, is not always easy. Notice that Jesus, when he said, when he came up to these guys, when either the four guys on the lake or Matthew never said, follow me and I'll make you rich. I'll make you popular. I'll give you everything you've ever wanted. There were no promises like that. Come, follow me. It might be intriguing and fascinating, but it requires taking a risk. And what we see in Levi is it was more risky than the others. But I wonder if Levi was fascinated to see if there really is more to life than money. If there really is more to life than money, because that's what his life was about in that moment friends I think that this is an exceptionally relevant question for us to address in our own lives what's it about and the reality is that we're all tempted tempted to not take a risk because of money and it is a risk finally we jump to chapter 3 verses 13 to 19 and I want to give you a little bit of a visual about what's happening here Okay, we're going to see the calling of 12 guys. And pulling together a team of disciples might very well be similar to pulling together a football team that is trying to get into the playoffs and to, to perhaps show this better than I can explain it. I want to show you this clip from a movie called The Replacements from several years ago. Take a look. A coach calling coach. a group of guys to himself. Maybe not necessarily the best guys for the job. We're going to do something a little different. Each brings something unique. And if nothing else, they'll be a lot of fun to watch. I love that this scene shows these guys being called and that it ends with almost a type of lakeside scene. Not unlike the ones we we have already seen. Only, you got to love Keanu Reeves ended up on the back of that boat, you know, and Gene Hackman going... Do you know who I am? In the classic Keanu going, yeah. (laughs) Dude, you got to love Keanu Reeves. None of these guys is perfect. Maybe even a bit outcast. Called to do something a little different. To stop what they're doing and join this coach on a team. Here's what the text that we're looking at says. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boangras, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who, just for good measure, you should know, betrayed him. What do you see? What do you see here? Jesus retreating to a mountainside with a bunch of dudes. After these two accounts near the Sea of Galilee, we see Jesus, we see him withdraw to a mountainside with a few guys he wanted to come to him. Now right here we could talk about each of these twelve guys and what makes them unique. And, and you can check that out throughout the balance of the New Testament. I invite you to discover that for yourself, but we want to focus on what Jesus did in this moment. He went away, likely from a synagogue to a mountain sign, and in verse 14, 15 gives the reason for these appointment, for the appointment of these twelve guys that they might be with him, that they might send them out to preach and to teach and to have the authority to drive out demons. I think one of the genius things of Jesus' leadership is that he gives you a very narrow thesis. For those of you that have term papers coming up, notice how Jesus kind of hones in and says, here's your purpose. And everything ends up being attached to that. So what? So what do we do with this? What do we do with the reality that Jesus interrupts a few guys and then takes them up onto a mountainside? What, what are we supposed to do with this? What does it mean? Two things. Like last week when we, when we saw Jesus identifying, we see a God that is interested. Interested enough to approach and interrupt What we hear about Jesus preaching, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Followed by this invitation, by walking up into the joint of ordinary guys. It is in Jesus' action, the kingdom of God is near and coming up, that we get the idea that God in Jesus has invaded this world. He has moved into the neighborhood. He has interrupted things and says, it's going to be a little bit different than you thought. I'm not going to come in and just wipe things out. I'm going to come in and I want you on board. We're, at, we're in this thing together. I'm interested in you. In a very personal way, we see Jesus is doing something very different. Friends, here is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling you. He's interested in you. Our Lord is interrupting you. God is interested in you. God is interested in you. That's what we see in this Jesus that gets up in the joint of these guys on the side of a lake. Second and this is huge for me, if you've tuned me out for the last 25 minutes, I need you back right here. Because you cannot walk out of here tonight without getting this. The primary purpose for Jesus rallying this group of people is that they might be with him. That they might be with him. So often, in all of the good intentions of, of those that are following hard after Jesus, We spent some time asking these very specific questions. What should I, what should I major in? What should I do with my life? Who should I marry? And, and we're asking these questions with all the best intentions and following it up with things like, I just want to do the will of God in my life. I want to know the will of God and doggone it, I want to do it. And we have these very narrow conclusions and very narrow answers that we we want God to deliver on that would be his will for us. And the irony is this, that the will is very narrow. God's will is first and foremost this, that you might be with him. Before we get to asking any of the other specifics of of those questions that that I just laid out, and, and so many others... The will of God, my friends, is that you might be with him first and foremost. Friends, the call of the gospel to us begins right here. That you would be with Jesus. To be with him. So the invitation of this text is to you. To draw close to Jesus. To be with Him, whether you are a fisherman, a tax collector, a zealot, there's not one type of person. The invitation is to a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that you might be with Him. When you are with Him, you get to know Him. And when you know Him, you get energy for him. And when you have energy for him, you begin to take risks. And life is meaningful and dynamic with purpose that you might be with him. So, to, so tonight I ask, are you with him? Are you with him? Do you want to be? why or why not and if you're if you're asking the why not that's fine and then this what's keeping you do you know who Jesus is do you respect him what's keeping you from respecting Jesus and when you can put your finger on those things let's find those answers out together are you with him let me pray for us Lord, we want to know you. We want to be with you. We want to have energy for you. Lord, we want to see you. So, Lord, in your mercy, would you help us out uh, that we might draw close to you, knowing that you invite us and that you draw close to us. Lord, it's a mystery And we don't always get it. We don't always feel it. And so tonight we ask, Lord, uh, help us out. Reveal yourself to us. Help us to know you more. Thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.